morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, I've entitled my message this morning, Gospel Hypocrisy. Gospel Hypocrisy. Paul, in chapter 2, throughout chapter 2, has been dismantling the arguments of the Jew in terms of the things that they rely upon for their assurance that God is pleased with them and that they have eternal life. That they are the children of God and that they will spend eternity with Him. And he's been unpacking, dismantling their arguments. As Paul has been speaking, he's been saying, first of all, Jews, you do the same things the Gentiles do. You wag your heads at them, but here you are guilty of the same thing. Not only that, you're leaning into the law and thinking that by keeping the law, you will somehow be justified, but no one will be justified by keeping the law. Today, he's tearing down a covenant sign called circumcision that was given to Abraham before the law. And they're relying on that. And he's saying, no, you can't rely on the sign of the covenant either. There's only one thing you can rely on. There's only one person you can trust in. There's only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's where he's going. He's dismantling everything else. You know, throughout the years, I've tried to be diligent in sharing the gospel with people. Um, I, I share the gospel with family. I share the gospel with friends. I share the gospel with neighbors. Uh, I share the gospel with total strangers. Uh, you know, I just, I just do. I mean, it, it, some people it just got a little, little jittery when I said share it with strangers. But I, I don't know any strangers, so they're strangers to you, but they're not strangers to me. And I, I share the gospel with them. And oftentimes uh, what they will say is I'll ask them if they uh, have eternal life, if they know they'll go to heaven when they die. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes they'll... They'll give me an answer. And in East Texas, by the way, they'll give you that. I'm in East Texas. I know this. East Texas is not the place where you spend your time sharing the gospel with people who are unfamiliar with it. It's the place where you spend your time sharing the gospel with people who are totally familiar with it but are lost. You spend your time getting them lost. Is what you spend your time often doing. But they'll say, well, yeah, of course. I was baptized when I was nine years old. They'll lean on a symbol, a sign. I was baptized when I was nine. Or I prayed to accept Jesus when I was 10 or 14 or 26 or 39. I joined the church when I was a young man or a young woman. 
Y'all ever notice that the responses when you ask someone if they have eternal life, they always point to something in the past. They never speak of anything in the present. They always look back to when they prayed or when they were baptized or when they joined the church. But they don't answer in the present tense. They don't answer with any kind of striving for holiness, which is a sign. The Jews held an assurance, held to an assurance, that actually disproved their salvation. We have the law. We live the law. And Paul's issue is the law just proves you're not saved. Because if you're going to lean on the law and if you're going to lean on circumcision, you have to keep the whole law. And you haven't done it. And you're not doing it. And you will never be able to do it. And with that, Paul is saying, you need this gospel I'm preaching. So as we look at this, uh, I want us to consider a couple of things. First of all, I want us to understand that there is no benefit in covenant signs apart from covenant realities. There is no benefit in covenant signs apart from covenant realities. In other words, we have the sign of circumcision here, but no obedience of the law. That would be the reality. Obeying the law. Doing the law. Secondly, through obedience, the Gentile becomes a Jew. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? I'll explain it when I get there. Through obedience, the Gentile becomes a Jew. And lastly, new covenant righteousness is inward and moral. New covenant righteousness is inward and moral. First of all, let's consider this, that there's no benefit in covenant signs apart from covenant realities. Verse 25 through verse 27 uh, helps us to see these things. Uh, Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So let's pause there for a moment. Through Through disobedience, the Jew becomes a Gentile. Through disobedience, the Jew becomes a Gentile. The Jew has the outward physical sign of the covenant, but does not walk in obedience, is what he's saying. Right here, he says circumcision is of value, but only 
if you obey the law. And not just a part of the law, but all of the law. You say, all ten commandments? No, all 613 commandments. All of them. Paul's point is that the circumcision of the Jew means nothing if the whole law is not followed. I mean, he's letting them know. Look, you're, you're putting up this sign of the covenant, covenant but I'm going to tell you, that means nothing. So the Jew can't boast in the law because no one can keep it completely. The Jew can't boast in circumcision because he rebels against the moral law of God in hypocrisy. Jesus was adamant to point this out in regard to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, look with me there. Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 28 uh, Jesus is just what I like to call wearing out the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's doing it on the basis of their hypocrisy. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind gods, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Paul is echoing the sentiment of Jesus here. He is letting them know you're relying on something outward, but you need to rely on something inward. And that is a transformation that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your focus is all wrong. Jesus is calling them out for their hypocrisies. And they were diligent to follow the ceremonial law. He points that out throughout the Gospels as well. I mean, they had their phylacteries and they had all their, their robes and their garments and things like that.
but they neglected the moral law of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They neglected the things that really matter. The things that God desires. He's saying, you know what, Jew? This law you lean into, this circumcision, this sign of the covenant, means nothing to you. You boast in it, but it means nothing. Even Christ is no advantage to you. It's no advantage to the one who insists on following the law as a means of salvation. Say, Rick, does that stuff really go on? Yeah, it still does. I remember years ago, a guy that I viewed diligent as a Christian began going off into Judaism. And someone that was in his, I don't even know what they called it. Surely they didn't call it a congregation or a church, but he was teaching Judaism, and one of his congregants, I guess you would call them, said, I never knew that you could follow the law. No one ever told me that. You can't. That's where they had gone. Back to the law. Paul just rebukes that over and over again through his letters. Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Paul is writing and he's speaking of how uh, for freedom Christ has set us free. Verse 1, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Christ alone is the one without sin. Christ alone is able to redeem. We seem at times to necessitate works at times. They are, if you will, a measure of salvation, but they are never a means to. And they're really even have to be cautious with this, and I'll explain what I'm saying later. We have to understand that they are not necessarily a great evidence that one is saved. I'm not saying they're not at all, but they're not the evidence.
the other verses, let's look at through obedience, the Gentile becomes a Jew. As I said, that sounds a little weird. Nobody's aspiring to become a Jew, but many of them were being called to become Jews by the Judaizers. You've got to accept this and, and accept Jesus. No, that's not a gospel at all, or it's not the gospel at all. Look what he says, verse 26. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code. A couple of words to point out there. Uh, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, guards the precepts of the law, he's keeping them, not merely in just doing them, but guarding what he's doing as right. And then another word here, regarded. Uh, in some translations, it might even say, uh, will not his circumcision be kept? A circumcision. But what's going on here is this is a calculation that's going on. In other words, he will be seen as someone who is walking in obedience. He will be uh, analyzed as one who believes the law that is written on his heart. Let me tell you this. Paul is not saying the Gentile who obeys the law of his heart is saved. Remember what Paul said earlier uh, in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. He's not saying that the Gentile who obeys the law of his heart is saved. That's not what's going on here. He is saying that he is more of a Jew than the Jew. <laughs> he is saying that. He's saying the Gentile who keeps the law that is written on his heart is more of a Jew than the Jew is, who has the sign but doesn't obey the law. What he just did is he elevated obedience. Over any signs that we could have. He's saying this not because of an outward physical sign, but because of obedience to all he has been given. Paul is saying that this Gentile can rightfully condemn the Jew regarding his Judaism. Not regarding his salvation, but regarding his Judaism. The Gentile can look at the Jew and go, I'm a better Jew than you are. And not only that, shame on you for calling yourself a Jew. All you have is the sign of the covenant, but you don't live it out in any way. 
Paul's saying that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Paul's kicking the legs out from under the argument of the Jew. I mean, he's gone through the list here. They went from their behavior, and Paul said, Your behavior is horrid. It's terrible. Well, okay, but we have the law. Yeah, but you don't keep the law. The law is of no value to you. So the law didn't work. Sinai was of no help where the law was received. So they go pre-law on Paul and say, but we have the sign of the covenant. Well, what use is that if you don't obey the law? It's of no use. What use is your baptism if it doesn't point to a changed, transformed life? Some of my favorite words in the ministry. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. I'll never forget Dr. Waters saying, I don't think I've ever seen... Dr. Waters was my mentor for those of you who do not know. After my second baptism, because my first baptism was... Interesting. I'm not going to tell you the story, but it was interesting. But after my second baptism, he goes, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody enjoy that as much as you do. For those of you who I baptize now, understand I'm not near as aggressive as I used to be. Raised to walk in newness of life. You have no idea that's my prayer for you before you ever walk in that water. That you're not just trusting in some water. We do all we can do to be diligent to make sure that your heart is set on a new way. We can't know that because we don't know the heart of everyone. But if you're trusting in water, you will not make it to the kingdom of heaven. If you're trusting in a prayer that you prayed, now I'm not this new reformed guy who busts the chops of everybody who uses the sinner's prayer. I'm fine with that. Because I'm not counting on that for you. I'm counting on how you change as a result of putting all your hope in Jesus. And Paul's saying, you're putting your hope in all the wrong things, and you're going to bust hell wide open. Your hope cannot be found in things of futility.
people pin their hopes on much worse things, like their heritage. And Paul's just reminding them, look, you've thrown everything at me you can possibly throw at me. And none of it stands the test. Only Christ and his righteousness can save you. The Jew can't boast in the law nor circumcision because he doesn't keep the law, although he is bound to do so by trusting in this outward sign. You want to baptize somebody and I say that, raised to walk in newness of life. You're binding yourself to, that's what I've committed to. He's come to the place where now he's going to say, your reliance on something outward is just the opposite of where your reliance needs to be. Because new covenant righteousness is inward and moral. It's inward and it comes out. Look what he says in verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. New covenant righteousness is inward and moral. Outward signs are useless unless they match the letter. The letter being the law. Inward change matter because they follow the Spirit. That's what he's saying there. His praise is not from men but from God. Herein lies the rub. The motives of our heart are impure naturally. But when we are changed by the gospel, our motives shift to a longing to please God, not others, and not ourselves. The application today is our assurance of salvation. Well, Rick, Paul was kicking 
all the legs out from up underneath the arguments of the Jews. But you're kind of kicking all the arguments that we give for how we know that we're believers, that we're Christians. Where's the genuine assurance for us? And I think this is a proper application. Because one thing that Paul's going to do is he's going to shift here in a few verses into chapter 3 through verse 20. And then he's going to start shifting to righteousness through faith alone. Our assurance there. Let me give you three points to consider. You say, wait a minute, you already gave us three points. Y'all can joke about that later. Just listen to my other three. In regard to genuine assurance of salvation, we must be careful, listen, we must be careful not to trust in outward signs that are merely outward signs. I'm going to repeat that. We must be careful not to trust in outward signs that are merely outward signs. Unbelievers can produce the same signs. I know a lot of really good moral unbelievers. I do. I know atheists and agnostics that are faithful. Diligent, not only to give to feed starving children, but travel to the other side of the world to make sure that they're fed. They don't do it for the glory of God. They do it to feed a hungry belly. And it will not score them points with God when the day of judgment comes. Several years ago, those of you who've been to Ethiopia with us may recall an agnostic that I witnessed to for actually several years. As we were talking, I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, look, I'm not going to be able to meet next week or the week after that. I'm going to Ethiopia. What are you going to Ethiopia for? I said, well, we're going to share the gospel with them and to build up and strengthen churches there. And I said, we do that. We have medical clinics and uh, we, uh, you know, take care of kids. And he goes, you deal with kids? Yeah. Can I give you something? Yeah. He gave me a duffel bag stuffed with toys and clothes and soccer balls and all sorts of things. Gave some money to be able to take care of some of the needs of those kids. He brought that thing and he started showing me all that stuff with tears in his eyes. He was so happy to be able to be helping these children. Good man. Still is. 
We must be careful not to trust in outward signs that are merely outward signs. Because we're all created in the image of God. And because God has written His law on the hearts of men, people who do not believe in Him can do good things. James speaks of faith apart from works as being dead. Incredibly misunderstood passage so often. Won't y'all turn with me there to James chapter 1 and chapter 2. I was worried about running short today. I guess not. What is it that James says? Verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, chapter 2, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll deal with this a little more in depth as we progress along in Paul's explanation of justification by faith. But just let me say this today. James is speaking of works as a means of a sign of life. These aren't works to be saved. These are works because you are saved. But what he's talking about is not just some regiment of doing good things. He's not talking about having a list of good things to do and then following the list and checking them off. Notice in chapter 1, where he says this, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Look with me, if you will, at verse 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, Y'all hear the similar language between the Jew who believes the law and does not do it? 
If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per- perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want you to see something. The works that James is talking about are coming from an internal source in the individual who does them. They're coming from one who loves God. Someone who loves Him and who has been changed by Him. Someone who, has, uh, who, who loves Him and has believed in Him. Someone who loves Him and listens to Him and listens to His Word and does what He says. It's important that we understand that mere works are not necessarily a strong evidence that someone is saved because unbelievers can do them. And they don't, know, don't do them for the glory of God. They do them for the advancement of themselves. Life goes better when you do good things. That sounds like a message you could hear in Houston right there. Second thing about our assurance. God is making us new, not nice. God is making us new, not nice. That's actually a chapter in a book we went through a while back called Conversion. It's a nine marks book. He's at least not making us nice as the world defines nice. The world defines nice that I should be nice whether I think you're doing what is right or not. I'm not considered by the world to be nice if I tell a transgender man that her way of life is condemning her to hell. But I am being nice, I'm actually being loving. My actions are opposite of what they once were. Before, I would have considered the greatest value in my life as being liked. Now it's whether God is pleased. If you speak the truth of God, they won't consider you loving nor will they consider you nice. 
the world will consider you anything but. All right, now, y'all don't hear me saying, don't be nice. I just want you to know the difference between being new and being nice. Look with me, if you will, at Galatians chapter 6. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has crucified, I'm sorry, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. By the way, he's speaking of true circumcision there. Of a true separation from the world. But let's don't stop there. Because in verse 15 it says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new Creation. That's what counts. The gospel makes us new. Makes us new. It's so vital for us to know this. If anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That was like four different translations, okay, of 2 Corinthians 5.17. I have a new mind. I have a new heart. I have a new nature, divine nature. I didn't have that before. There's a war going on between the Old nature, the flesh, and the new nature, the spirit. Flesh was unhindered before that. We're a new creation, and we're striving, striving to be more and more like Jesus. Richard Baxter, old Puritan preacher, pastor, Wrote a book that's penetrating called The Reformed Pastor. It says, This life is not intended to be the place of our perfection, but the preparation for it. Our goal is perfection. Anybody? No? Our goal in life is holiness. Anybody? Anybody? Both of those are true. 
And I don't think it's just because you're Baptist that you didn't respond yes. Hesitation. Is that the aim of my life? Is holiness and the perfection that only belongs to Christ my pursuit? Is it? The goal is perfection. The goal is holiness. Smile. He's he's enabled us to pursue that. I want to let you in on something. I usually don't hesitate in saying hard things. I'm not going to today. You're not going to make it until you are glorified. You won't arrive at perfection or holiness on this earth. The pursuit is more important than attaining the goal. You can't. But he's going to give you the goal. Isn't it great? He's going to give you the goal. What did James say? He's going to give you the crown of life. He's going to give it to you. You're not going to earn it. And you're not going to achieve it here in this world. But it ought to be the steadfast pursuit of everyone who calls themselves Christian to pursue holiness. Paul's telling the Jews, you have no bent toward holiness whatsoever. You're just holding up signs. You're just wearing Christian t-shirts. You just got your old coffee mugs with Scripture on it. I still got mine, by the way, that says I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. I want us to know the pursuit is vital if you call yourself a Christian. I'm going to take a moment. You're going, well, where's the assurance, Rick? You've just kicked out all the props. Where is it? I have people who come to know Christ to write their testimonies. And then they read them when I baptize them. I got three questions I ask. And I'm going to read those questions, and then I'm going to zip through some of the answers. How does the Bible describe that you, what you were like before you trusted Jesus? I don't necessarily ask people, what were you like? What does the Bible say you were like? How does the Bible tell us that we come to salvation? What does the Bible say we are like after we have been saved? 
Well, the Bible tells me before I came to know Christ that my heart was bent continually on evil, that I was nothing but a sinner, that there was nothing righteous about me, that there was no goodness, there was no hope. There was nothing in me that God looked at me and said, I want Rick D's. The only reason he said that is because of his love. That's it. There was no merit in me. There was nothing. I was a wretch. I was a violent man. I was a violent kid. That's all he was getting with me. Just violence and anger and hatred. All that welled up in my heart. That's what the Bible says. It says that's who we are. That's what we're like. Because our heart is continually set on evil. But then the Bible says that while I was like that, while I was a sinner, while I was still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, if he died for the godly, nobody's getting there. There ain't none of us godly in our nature. It says that he died for the ungodly. Christ did. This man, this God-man, he came to give me hope. He died. He bore my sin. He was buried. He rose. He bore the wrath and completely absorbed it so that I wouldn't have to. How does the Bible say? We're, what does the Bible say we're like after we've been saved? We're new. New creatures. New mind. Whereas once I pursued sin, now I hate it and I pursue holiness. And I do that imperfectly but oh how good he is I want you to know your assurance rests on God and him alone he's the one who saved you his word tells us that's why I say what does the Bible say because it's his word that gives us the assurance not our performance it's his word that tells me I'm his. It's his spirit that agrees with what his word says. I'm not putting my hopes and my performance. I'll walk around in despair. But if I put my hope on the word, on the living God, and what he has done, now I have something to cling to. Now I have something to hold to. God promises. And his character is good. He keeps his promise. How many of y'all believe this promise? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody like that one? I love that one. What a wonderful promise. And I've never let go of it. I've given him all the reason in the world to turn loose of me. 
but his word says he won't. And I've had many thoughts of turning loose of him, but his word says he won't let me because he keeps me and he keeps you. All the works in the world cannot save you and cannot keep you. But Jesus Christ does both. And if you put your hope on anything but Him, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, help us not to practice gospel hypocrisy. Help us, Lord, instead, uh, Father, to cling to your word. Father, to never let go. Father, to always know that you are our God. Not because we imagine it. Not because we think it. But because you have declared it. Lord, in our knowing and trusting that we are yours, put in us a great desire. Put your law in us. Put your hope in us. Give us a will, Lord, to pursue the holiness you've called us to. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.